Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Prostate cancer, to test or not to test, is that even still a question? Well, as much as we learn in medical science, we find out pretty quickly that one size definitely does not fit all when it comes to this and many diagnoses. Not all men need to be screened, and not all those who are over 50. It's becoming a personalized approach, and even once someone is diagnosed, it's not going to be the same treatment for everyone. So what's a guy to do? Well, listen to our next hour, for one thing. We have Cisco Conde from Queen's Medical Center Cancer Survivorship Program, along with fellow member of the Hawaii Prostate Coalition, Prostate Cancer Coalition, Steve Davidson, and Dr. Sergei Tikhonenkov, a urologist at Queen's Medical Center and also a participant with the UH Cancer Center. They're all in the studio and ready to explain the latest in screening, diagnosis, and treatment of prostate cancer. As always, you can join us here in the studio and you can reach us live during our conversation at 9413689, toll free 877-941-3689. If you didn't know, September is National Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. So it's a very timely topic for us here on The Body Show and we've got some great experts to share this information with you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit first. Uh, Dr. Sergey, tell me a little bit about some of the controversies that have gone on in the field of prostate cancer. Uh, that's a great question. Actually, there's been quite a f- bit of controversy in regards to the prostate cancer screening in particular. The controversy is that the prostate cancer is very common, very common disease. One in seven men will develop it. One in seven? During their lifetime. Okay. However, prostate cancer is not the same thing. It's very complex. Some cancers grow very slow. Some grow very fast. Think of your pancreatic cancer. Extremely fast and aggressive. And some are in the middle. In the past, all cancers were treated as if they were the aggressive ones. However, we find out now that we can probably watch a fair number of prostate cancer cases. So that's that process, that new word that we're talking about called active surveillance. You know, previously, people either had cancer or they didn't. If they had cancer, they might be rushed into treatment options and told, you know, most people feel like I have a cancer. I've got to take it out of my body, of course. But that's not always the case. What you're telling me is sometimes it's not that fast growing and you don't have to rush to do a big treatment but why wouldn't you want to? Are there side effects to doing treatments that people would not want? Cisco, you run a cancer survivorship group. I'm sure that over at Queens Medical Center, I'm sure that you hear a lot about this. Why wouldn't someone want to rush to treatment? Are there side effects you hear about people saying after they've had treatment, whether it be surgery or radiation or anything? Yes, there are a number of side effects that may last for months or maybe permanent. Uh, For example, uh, from surgery, it may cause erectile dysfunction. Uh, It may also cause incontinence. Uh, For those who are on hormone therapy, these are medications to lower testosterone levels. Um, They may um, have hot flashes, kind of like women uh, experience during menopause. They may also later develop gynecomastia or enlarged breast. 
as well as bone loss or osteoporosis. So there are side effects to these different uh, prostate cancer treatments. Sure. So there are certainly reasons why you'd want to be a little more cautious if you were looking at taking a look at treating a cancer versus actively surveilling it. Active surveillance is a big term that I think has come out more recently really as a way, you know, we used to say watch and wait, and it makes it seem like such a passive process. We're just going to sit here and wait for something bad to happen. Active surveillance means something different. Steve, you've worked with the Prostate Cancer Coalition for a while. You are a prostate cancer survivor. How would you describe to your friends, to your fellow colleagues, what active surveillance means? Um, In active surveillance, as the name implies, uh, the doctor is actively watching this low-grade, less aggressive cancer to see if it changes in character into a more aggressive one. And um, this would include probably periodic PSA tests, uh, possibly repeat biopsies, uh, and... In only the last few years, there have been a number of new tests, uh, uh, genetic tests and uh, tests to be able to distinguish uh, the less aggressive from the more aggressive cancer. So that rather than rushing right into doing treatment, um, there is actually active surveillance is a form of treatment, but it, it is not an invasive treatment like surgery or radiation or cryotherapy uh, in which the the cancer is watched very closely and in many, many cases never develops into an aggressive variety and saves the man and his family from uh, the side effects that Cisco was talking about, from the, uh, you know, surgery and the risks involved in surgery, um, and the expense of of uh, of all these treatments, which once you've had surgery or you've had radiation, you probably will have ongoing uh, uh, treatment uh, of some sort for the rest of your life. Well, and I have to say, you know, I had had an individual in my office, a man who developed prostate cancer, and this was prior to the whole term of active surveillance. So, you know, he had cancer, and he decided he wanted to get aggressive. He wanted this cancer out, so he went, saw a surgeon, had the cancer taken out, and this was probably about five or six years ago. So, I, you know, I think it probably today would have met the criteria for monitoring, but he decided, I need to have this out psychologically. I've got to do it. And what really impacted me a lot, thinking about some of the side effects, is seeing this guy over a couple of years and having him developed the erectile dysfunction, the urinary incontinence. He had surgery. He had other treatments. He had some problems afterwards. And watching him go through some of these other experiences that caused all sorts of side effects helped me to really understand that nobody's saying you can't choose to take out a tumor if it is the type of cancer that you have to remove. But everybody's saying, be cautious, because there's side effects to whatever you do. And that although you might say it's a cancer, of course you must take it out because it will do bad things to me. Active surveillance involves monitoring to make sure those bad things aren't happening, but also involves being cautious to know when it's time to intervene and when it isn't. Now, Dr. Tikonenkoff, tell me a little bit about what sorts of, 
you know, you see men who have urologic problems all the time. You're a urologist. You also treat men with prostate cancer. What sort of problems might you see in somebody who has had surgery in the past and they see you in the office? From your perspective, what sort of things do you see in your office with men who have previously been treated for prostate cancer? But actually, first off, I wanted to correct Steve a little bit in terms of the terminology. Actually, active surveillance is not a treatment. It's a, it's a basically a strategy. Well, okay, it's, strategy. I like that word. Okay, we'll go with that. It's basically the goal of it is to delay treatment as and hopefully as as long as safely possible. So, uh, and quite a few patients on active surveillance actually do require treatments, about 30 to 35% of them. So what would be the advantage? And hopefully we don't compromise the quality, you know, of treatment and be able to cure them. Because some people, you know, it's not a perfect science. We have no way of knowing who is a, who is a, ideal candidate for active surveillance because there's a possibility we found a kind of a low volume, low-grade cancer, and we missed a high-grade cancer, which could potentially escape, you know, as we uh, as we uh, doing this active surveillance. So, you know, some caution is warranted, and certainly not not everybody is a candidate for active surveillance. However, there's an increasing number of patients who are, uh, I think, will will benefit for it. But uh, So let's talk about that for a minute. We'll hold off on the long-term effects. Let's sure. talk about somebody. Let's kind of go through a little scenario. Sure. Somebody who comes into your office, it's, it's a guy, and he has prostate symptoms of prostate enlargement, and he's had a PSA done. He's, let's just say, an age, maybe mid-50s, having the symptoms for a while, having some getting up at night, going to the bathroom a lot, said to his doc, I'm having these symptoms, I need to do something. Doc orders a PSA, PSA is elevated, and you get to choose how high, because this is our fake scenario, you get you get to make some choices here, and he comes in to see you in the office. So mid-50s, otherwise healthy, no other major medical problems, prostate enlargement symptoms, high PSA. That's, what would you do? This scenario is actually concerning to me because uh, prostate cancer is actually... Uh, low stage has no symptoms. You know, that's why we need prostate cancer awareness because actually we want to screen people without symptoms. In a patient, you know, if he has an enlarged prostate, which is different from prostate cancer, and he may have an elevated PSA, I would not certainly rush to an invasive um, biopsy. I would certainly repeat PSA maybe in a month or two, because PSA is not very specific. It can reflect an infection, you know, large prostate, something else is going on. You know, I want to confirm this test is a, is a, is a real deal. The so not everybody PSA. who comes in with a high PSA and symptoms of prostate enlargement, are not, they're not all going to be treated as if it's cancer. Certainly. You're going to monitor it. Now, when you order a PSA, which is a blood test, do you give men specific instructions on what not to do prior to doing the blood test? Sure. We would like for them to refrain from sexual activity for a few days, you know, not to ride a bicycle and things like that. Okay. But, uh, in fact, before ordering PSA, we actually would like to 
discuss patient pro pros and cons of, of getting PSA. And unfortunately, it falls on the primary care doctor to do that since 80% of PSAs are done by primary care doctors. Right. So you're the specialist, and you'll see somebody when we've sent them to you. Sure. Or sometimes people will self-present, sure. or they'll have another urologic problem, kidney stones or something, and they're of age, and you'll see them. Okay. So there should be some certain restrictions on physical activity prior to doing the test PSA, because it could be inappropriately elevated sure. and get everybody all worried. Sure. Okay. Now, in this scenario, we were talking more about enlarged prostate, elevated PSA. We weren't yet talking about the screening, so we were kind of targeting this discussion that we have of this of this individual who will say is seeing you. So you said you would repeat the test in about a month or so. Sure. Look at some of those other contributing factors. Were you riding a bike? Do you do this all the time? Did you have intercourse? And let's say they come back and the PSA is normal. At that point, just treat the enlarged prostate and sure. monitor yearly? Sure. Okay. What if they come back and the PSA is high? Second time in a row, they followed your instructions. They're still symptomatic. What would be the next step? Are they symptomatic in terms of their urination? Just urination, yes. Yeah, I would separate the, the urinary problems and the elevated PSA. Cause totally the, separate? Totally separate okay. issues, you know. I would treat urinary problems, you know, with medications if they're symptomatic. Probably at the first visit. Right. And then you'd have them follow up. And now they're here. They're saying, I'm happy. I don't go to the bathroom five times at night. I just go once or twice. Life is good. And I still have this high number. Yeah, I mean, if you have high PSA, t traditionally, you know, if the repeat PSA confirms it, we unfortunately, we would proceed to a, a prostate biopsy. If the suspicion is high enough. Yeah. So the biopsy is not necessarily a radical surgery. It's not a complete removal of the prostate. It's sort of starting someone on the process of this, shall we say, the strategy of diagnosis and potentially active surveillance like you were talking about. Now, you said not everybody's a candidate for active surveillance. What are some of the reasons why they should not follow this strategy or that you would not recommend that they follow this strategy? Well, I mean, only spe specific biopsy characteristics would, uh, you know, like small volume of cancer and a small Gleason score, you know, would make you a candidate for it. So actually, after you do the biopsy, you would get some information on whether or not they had a lot of cancer, a little cancer. Sure. There might be some characteristics on that biopsy that give you a little information about potentially if it's going to be aggressive versus it's not as aggressive based on the biopsy result. And then you could put them in a category where they might be a candidate for active surveillance. Sure. They might be a candidate to do other kinds of treatments. And those criteria, unfortunately, has not been established. There are several protocols, and they're all different. But... Uh, some new information that's uh, coming along from from places like uh, Toronto or John Hopkins kind of gives us a little bit more information now, and active surveillance is is gaining in popularity in the United States, um, where mm -hmm. where it was non-existent, you know, like ten years ago to maybe, you know, thirty percent of uh, available patients, okay. whereas in Europe it's much more uh, common in places like uh, Scandinavia or, or other places. So, Steve, let's talk to you for a second. I'm going to put you in the hot seat because okay. I just am. All right. You had prostate cancer. Correct. How long ago? 2011. 
Okay. Was active surveillance even available then? Um, yeah, yeah. What did you choose to do about your cancer? Well, I had radiation treatment because active surveillance was not offered to me as an option. Would it have been an option retrospectively, or your type of cancer wouldn't have been? Uh, it might very well have been. Mine was a low-grade cancer. However, I was 65 at the time, and so I had a life expectancy of maybe 20 years. So one of the considerations would have been uh, if I had undergone active surveillance, would my cancer, with that length of time, 20 years, would it you know, have done damage? Why are you cutting yourself off at 20 years, Steve? I've seen you. You go running. <laughs> you could be 30 years. Let's, you know, it, well, it, it give me a couple more years. It there. certainly could be. Um, so so my age suggested that perhaps I should have treatment. However, considering that mine really was a low-grade cancer, uh, uh, an argument certainly could have been made. There was no rush to do anything. Now, when you think about the psychological implications of active surveillance, if that were offered to you, Back then, do you think you would have been okay with that? I think I might very well have been uh, if I understood then what I understand now. Um, what we find is that uh, men who come to our us to support groups, uh, in many cases, uh, and it's already been alluded to here, uh, they've been to see the doctor, they've had a biopsy, uh, they've been told that they have prostate cancer, uh, they've been offered some treatments such as radiation, different varieties of radiation, uh, uh, surgery. And when they arrive at the group, uh, all they can think of is which treatment is best for them and how quickly can they have it. Um, it is very hard for anyone to live with cancer, uh, to be told, yeah, you have cancer, but you don't have to do anything about it right now. And uh, so your question is a very good one. Would I have been able to um, say, okay, I'll give active surveillance a try? I might very well have done so. But it, it, it can be a very difficult decision, and that's why we're talking about it here. All right. Cisco, we're going to get to you and, and tell me a little bit about you're you're ready to jump in and tell me something. Go for it. The only thing I want to add uh, with Steve is that not only the patient himself that struggles with the decision regarding active surveillance, but the family members as well, because they're thinking, my father, husband, brother has cancer, and they're thinking about the cancer diagnosis that is synonymous with death. And so for them to, to think about what, you're not going to do any treatment, you're going to leave this cancer um, and not treat it, it it's, it's very hard to also convince family members or, or loved ones. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. I've got a group here with me today. I've got Cisco Conde. He is an APRN and PhD, and he works with the Queens Medical Center Cancer Survivorship Program. We also have Steve Davidson, and he is the Vice President and Secretary of the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition, and Dr. Sergei Tikhonenkov. 
urologist. At, I'm getting that. I'm getting that, sir. But I think we're going to be Dr. T from now on. All right. <laughs> and a urologist at Queens Medical Center and also participates with enrolling patients at UH Cancer Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that whole process of what happens when you get that diagnosis. And as Cisco astutely mentioned, it doesn't just affect one person. It affects an entire family. So if you or a loved one has had prostate cancer and you've walked down this road, we'd love to hear from you about what has transpired and how that course has gone. So you can join us at any time at 941-3689, toll free from our friends in the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Early birds rock, and you can be one of them by pledging early to our upcoming pledge drive. You'll help the station lower our on-air goal, and that would be sweet. Call on your pledge of $150 or more starting September 16th, and the first 300 members receive a bonus gift of 250 Hawaiian miles. New members, you get a 500-mile bonus. On the next Humankind. The Environmental Working Group analyzed some data and they found that if everyone in the United States ate no meat or cheese one day a week, it would be the same as not driving 91 billion miles. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for the Diet Climate Connection on Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio, and we have a trio of guests today. We have Steve Davidson from the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. We have Dr. Sergei Tekhanenoff. Tikkanen, I'm I'm getting it, Sergey. Tikkanen cough. I'll do that next time. And he's a urologist <laughs> at Queens Medical Center and also participates in some of the clinical trials at UH Cancer Center. And Cisco Conde, and he is running the Queens Medical Center Sur- Cancer Survivorship Program. And we're going to talk some more about what that means. But if you or a loved one has ever heard about the diagnosis of prostate cancer. How did you handle that? And would you be somebody who would be able to do active surveillance if it was offered to you? Again, it's not offered to everybody. Maybe about 30% of folks might be candidates, maybe not even that. But if it was offered, could you could you live with that? And could you know you have cancer and not necessarily start actively treating it? I think it's a huge psychological implication for yourself and loved ones, but we'd like to hear your thoughts on it. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. I want to just go over a couple of really important things. And Dr. Sergey, you mentioned something to me earlier. You said, you know, prostate cancer is asymptomatic. You don't have to have symptoms to have cancer. And if you have symptoms of an enlarged prostate, it doesn't mean you have cancer. But if you have no symptoms, it doesn't mean you don't. That's that's very correct. In fact, you know, if you develop symptoms, it's it's kind of too late. That's why we want men to talk to their doctors about getting checked. Okay. And we're talking about men in their um, mostly in their fifties and sixties. Okay. 
And so in that particular age group, 50s to 60s, don't be ashamed. Talk about the prostate. About risks and benefits of, of Doing something. Okay. And the screening, Who for whom off the top of your head would you think screening would not be appropriate? Well, that's a great question. Uh, most cancers, most prostate cancers grow f- fairly slow. So if the life expectancy of a person is um, less than 10 years, so regardless of the age, you know, probably won't benefit, or most definitely won't benefit from uh, uh, screening and, and treatment. So if you have heart disease, you know, a lot of medical problems, uh, probably not a great candidate for screening. And also, you know, if there's seven-year-old man who is in excellent health and have quite a bit of longevity in the family, and we have quite a few of this in Hawaii, you know, they, a few of them may benefit from, uh, from screening, actually. So it's a very individualized situation. If you have other major medical conditions, you might not benefit. If you are extremely healthy in your 70s, you might. And it really takes a discussion with your doctor to know, are you in a medical situation where this would be helpful for you? Okay. And that's a conversation that really you have with your primary care doc. They probably know you the best. Or your, your primary care provider will say it could be a nurse practitioner. Um, it could be somebody who works with your urologist and really someone that you can really feel comfortable with asking that question and feeling like they've given you an answer that's most personalized to you. Okay. And if they need more information, you know, we can talk about some resources, but besides primary care doctor, they should they can see any urologist who are, you know, experts in men's health and, you know, would would be glad to discuss this with them. Absolutely. And if people want to know more and they want to take a look, one of the great resources that that I found, and thanks, Steve, to your group for really making this such an actively easy-to-navigate website, is hawaiiprostatecancer.org. I think that's a great place for people to go for more information. Speaking of folks, let's talk with Paul from Maui. Paul, welcome to The Body Show. Aloha, Dr. Kozak. Aloha. And to your um, guests, thank you very much for um, talking, taking my call. I I'm 67 years old. I've had um, elevated PSA for 10 years, probably, and since I started. Well, since I started getting the PSA test done, I've had elevated PSA ranging between 8 to 12. It goes back and forth, kind of thing, from 8 to 12, down to 7, back up to 12, down to 11, up to 10. Um, I had biopsy done five years ago. Um, it was negative. I have dripping, and um, I have. Um, frequent urination, um, and I have had the prostate looked at. It's not enlarged, and so that my urologist doesn't feel that there's any real problem with it. But um, I would like to know what your doctor thinks about that. Those that I, I don't know what um, whether I'm symptomatic or not. I don't believe I'm symptomatic because I, I don't, except for frequent urination. That's the only thing, and, and I. And they look at my prostate, you know, whenever I go in there, and they tell me that it's not enlarged, so I'm and, not w- worried about it. And the PSA has been sta- kind of about the same range? Yeah, it goes between 8 and 12, kind of back and forth. Okay. Hasn't gone above 12 ever. That- okay. I mean, that could be signs of, you know, some prostatic inflammation as well, called uh, prostatitis. I'll be kind of like to know what the biopsy results show a few years ago. They, uh, they were completely negative is what he told me. Sure. There was, not, there was absolutely nothing, nothing there at all. So I, was, I said, okay, great. I'm, 
we, I'm fine with that. Sure. I mean, that's there are men like yourselves who have an elevated PSA for many years and uh, do not get a diagnosis of cancer, which, which is good. I mean, sometimes we, we look for um, P- what happens with PSA over time. And with cancer, we usually see uh, a continuous rise over the years. So the PSA creeps up, um, you know, over the years, and 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 uh, you know that that could be a sign of cancer. A great new tool that we have uh, is, uh, I would say, is prostate MRI. It's helpful in patients who had a negative biopsy, and their PSA is still rising. You know, it's uh, uh, a quality MRI could could. Uh, provide some additional information, you know, and it could be something you can look into that or well, talk to I, your I doctor about that. I appreciate that. My my um, my urologist only sees me once a year, and so he feels that I just saw him recently, and he's, you know, in August, and he gave me an, another appointment for next August of uh, 2017, so 2016, so I guess he isn't concerned. The fact that the PSA has been stable, like you're saying, is, is, is a bit reassuring. You know, if PSA is rising... You know, that's that's when we get worried. Yeah. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. All yeah. right, Paul, thanks for calling us. It sounds like in his situation, Dr. Sergey, if everything is status quo and the PSA is not going up and it's kind of up and down and up and down and up and down, what he's having done in Maui is correct. He doesn't have to rush to go do anything else because the levels are not rising as you would expect they would for a serious condition. So. Yeah, PSA is quite tricky. I mean, fortunately, we have uh, new uh, kind of newer tests, uh, which which uh, we can use in, in his situation. And uh, uh, one of them, they're more uh, more specific than the PSA. Uh, just to name a few, it's a PCA3, which is a genetic test, which is a, a urine test. There's also a prostate health index and a 4K score. So there are a few other tests that can provide more information as far as, uh, you know, uh, whether you have cancer or, or not. And like I mentioned, uh, we've been using MRI of the prostate. It's been uh, very helpful. In general, for someone like Paul, the numbers are kind of going up, going down, going up, going down, unless there's a big rise. And if it's always going down a couple of points, going up a couple of points, you know, he's doing what what would be done in this day and age. All right. Good to know. Okay, Paul, that's reassuring. What's happening over on Maui is exactly what uh, needs to be happening. So I'm happy the numbers haven't gone up, and it sounds like you've got a good good strategy with your urologist right now. All right, we've got Walter on the line from Kailua Kona. Walter, welcome to The Body Show. Hello. Hello there. What can we do for you today? Okay, I was just curious about something you guys have mentioned about bicycle riding. I need to ride my bicycle for transportation. It's a good question, Walter, because when I first heard that, I'm like, really? You can run, but you can't bike? It has to do with the seat. Sergey, you think it has to do with the seat, sitting down, putting extra pressure in the area, possibly causing a uh, inflammation of the prostate? It's kind of what I've heard. It's, it's quite possible. Certainly, you know, if you're riding your bike and you have an elevated PSA, I would definitely repeat it, you know, Take and a get few, off the bike. Get Take off a the few bike days for off. a couple of days. I gotcha. Suppose. Maybe over a holiday weekend there, Walter, you could sort of be bike free and then go repeat it if you need to. But only if you do it and it's high. I mean, I guess for a standard test, if he did it and it was normal and he's yeah. a bike rider, don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, so, absolutely. 
Only if it's high do you have to worry, Walter, and maybe taking a few days off the bike, holiday weekend, friend with the car, who knows, then you'd be able to repeat it should you have a high one and not have to worry about that. Yeah, well, I'm not worried about that. I probably got lung cancer anyway, so it doesn't really matter about something. But I was just curious about what that had anything to do with the bicycle riding. Yeah, it's a good question, Walter. A lot of people are surprised. I hope you don't have lung cancer, but you bring up another point that we talked about, which was if you have another cancer that's probably going to be something more serious should you be testing for prostate cancer if it's fairly slow growing probably and, not you know probably not but not to suggest that you know you have to you have to do anything differently walter because you know if you don't have lung cancer and you're a healthy guy it's a good idea to get it checked out but excellent way that we can reinforce that point and um thanks for asking for the explanation because you're right i always wonder too all right we've got john on the line from waikiki john welcome to the body show Hi, Kathy. Again, a great, great show. I thank you so much. And uh, I don't want to be a little redundant. Uh, uh, I think the good doctor uh, answered my question with Paul. But I'm 77 years old. Uh, I've had an elevated uh, PSA. Well, the last physical was 13. That's been going on for, for years. Um, but uh, And I've also had uh, prostate biopsy to check that. They've all been negative. But... Um, I have Crohn's disease, and uh, uh, my urologist says that chronic inflammation, uh, from his point of view, has probably been uh, what's been elevating my PSA. Uh, and uh, uh, I see him, you know, every three or four months. I have digital examinations of the prostate. Uh, but uh, doctor mentioned uh, that possible MRI as a kind of double check. That's uh, that sounds. Um, interesting and perhaps valuable for my case. And it's a good thought, John. You know, you're here in Waikiki. You know, you're certainly on Oahu, so availability might be quite easy for you. You brought up a couple of things, and I'd like to run it by uh, Dr. Sergey just uh-huh. just uh, to make sure that we've got this covered. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, would inflammation in the bowel, particularly something like Crohn's, generalized body inflammation, would that potentially cause inflammation of the prostate? Crohn's disease being in the gastrointestinal tract, in the colon potentially, in the small intestine, really close to that prostate. I mean, it's the same neighborhood. Could it be related? Um, Hard to say. Hard to say. I mean, prostatitis, which is an inflammation, inflammation of, of the prostate, again, yeah. can cause elevation in the PSA. I'm not really sure how Crohn's disease is connected to that, but there are a number of patients that um, do have elevated PSA on and off, which and we never find cancer. And he's kind of like Paul we talked to earlier. He's had these biopsies done. He's had these PSAs done. They really haven't spiked. They've kind of always been in the same range. What could you see on an MRI that would help you to further evaluate why someone's PSA might be elevated? I mean, MRIs are very distinctive tests that show a lot of detail about what's in the body. Can you see calcifications or nodules or something that might lead you to believe there's a problem on a prostate MRI? And in this case, I'm talking about high-quality MRI, not just any MRI. Very done, specific MRI, okay. Done at the quality center. Okay. Where where, where the radiologist is experienced in looking uh, in That's in, the other key, in reading it, right. Not right. just the machine is really good, but, it, but the doctors can read it. Okay. And it, it would show a nodule. So it would show nodules that it maybe w- you can't feel on exam. Right. And then you can bu- go and do a targeted biopsy, you know, of that nodule. What if it showed nothing? 
that would be another reassuring right. fact for somebody who it would not eliminate it, but it it just adds to more reassuring information. Okay, makes it a little less likely. All right, okay, John. Well, that's always a possibility, but you got to do a little detective work. Find out if uh, the MRI is able to do an. A study of that particular organ of the body, and then also find out if the radiologist is familiar with reading it, or your urologist is familiar with reading it too, because sometimes docs can read MRIs even if they're not radiologists, and see a lot of really good, valuable information on there. Certainly more than more than I can, Steve. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Doctor T, but at Queens, we're now able to do multi-parametric yes. MRIs. Yes. Uh, so we have state-of-the-art MRI. Mm-hmm. Right. So they have the MRI machine at Queens that can do this. Right, and we have doctors there who have who a good deal of experience it. doing Thousands it. Thousands of MRIs. Yes, yes. All right, so it's not that unusual, and it's a test that can be done, and it's something that might be used to help John or someone else who meets those criteria and has some question about it. Uh, if, right. I could, if I could add, uh, the biopsy that's ordinarily done is a blind biopsy. And so, as uh, Dr. T mentioned earlier, it's possible that a biopsy could be done and miss areas of prostate cancer. It depends on where the needles happen to go. And so when we do a multiparametric MRI, uh, it scans the entire prostate and may find something that the biopsy did not. Now, uh, so uh, in the case of these gentlemen, if their PSA was continuing to go up and they had a negative biopsy, the neg- that biopsy may simply have missed the cancer and the MRI might be the direction to go then. Sure, and the key you're mentioning that, that Dr. Sergey was talking about earlier is PSA continuing to go up. Sure. So yes. some change in the blood test that we're looking at, that doesn't mean that it stays stable at the exact same value the whole time. There's got to be some kind of a change to it because that's what helps us to understand that there's some process going on that needs to be further evaluated. So not everybody needs to do prostate MRIs, but for those that do... This is another modality. And I kind of think about it, if you think of an orange, so I had an orange at lunch today, and I was wondering to myself as I looked at the orange, is it seedless or not? And the only way to know is to go ahead and, you know, peel the orange and look for seeds. And even if you look on the outside, you can't tell, so you got to open it up and you have to see. And it was interesting, not every slice of the orange had seeds. A couple of them did, a couple of them didn't. So if you're trying to do a biopsy of the prostate, it's kind of like trying to insert something into the middle of the orange to say, does it have seeds or not? And you might just get a piece from a slice that has no seeds and think, nope, seedless, when in fact, if you do more investigation, you find out that it has seeds. So, you know, it's one of those interesting ways to think about how can you possibly do a a biopsy and not get the exact result, well, it's pretty simple because you're only looking for one specific area. The whole prostate might not be full of cancer. It might be just little spots of it, and that's how it could be missed. And you mentioned that, Steve. If you do a biopsy and it's negative but your numbers keep rising, chances are there's something going on that needs to be investigated. So, all right, we've got a couple more callers, but we are going to take a quick break and come on back. I have Cisco Conde. He is from the Queens Medical Center Cancer Survivorship Program. We have Dr. Sergey Tikhonenkov. He's a urologist at Queens Medical Center and Steve Davidson from the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. When we come back, we're going to talk with a couple more callers and talk a little bit about the Us To support group that Steve referenced earlier and also the Cancer Survivorship Program run by Dr. Conde over at Queens. So stay with us. And if you want to join us, you can, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. 
Look, self-driving cars may well be the wave of the future, but that doesn't mean there aren't a couple of kinks to work out, you know. There has been research done that shows that this mushy middle of automation is scary. I'm Kai Rizdal. Semi-autonomous cars coming soon to a driveway near you. The story coming to you next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. After he conquered England, Emperor Claudius needed to take a bath. They're the best preserved Roman balls anywhere in the Roman world. 2,000 years later, the King of Spain also got in some hot water. And it was the first time the king said, I'm sorry, I've done wrong. The charming town of Bath in England, the latest gossip in Spain, and living as an expat in the Yucatan. It's all on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m., following Fresh Air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Cisco Conde from Queens Medical Center Cancer Survivorship Program and also treasurer of the Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. Steve Davidson, Vice President and Secretary, Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. And Dr. Sergei Tikonenkov, he's a urologist at Queens Medical Center and also works with doing trials with the UH Cancer Center. And we're talking today about prostate cancer because September is National Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. And we want men to no longer feel shy or feel embarrassed or not want to mention prostate because it is something that can be associated with cancer, one in seven men, and that cancer can be deadly for some individuals. So we certainly want to make sure that we give people enough information about what's going on with their bodies and help them to make educated choices about what they would like to do to reduce their risks for certain medical problems. Now, before the break, we were talking with a caller, John from Waikiki, who wanted to know, hey, you know what? If your PSA is the same all the time, do you have to go ahead and do further investigation, even if it's a little high? And so far, you know, it's a very personalized situation, and it's individualized for each person. But if everything's stable and status quo and biopsies are negative and you're doing well, it can be watched, and that strategy can be considered as a as something that you do to manage that particular elevated blood test result and also whatever else may go along with it. So now I'd like to go ahead and talk with a couple more callers, and then we're going to mention a little bit more about some of the support groups and other sources of information and some of the trials going on at the University of Hawaii Cancer Center because that's certainly a huge aspect of learning what to do next is participating in trials and finding out what works best and sharing that information with everyone else. All right, so first we're going to talk with Kelly from the Big Island. Kelly, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Doing good. What can we do for you today? I was just calling because I was diagnosed with prostate cancer this year. I'm 41 years old and um, decided to go with the brachytherapy and had that done the end of July. How did you do so well? Because you're a young guy, Kelly. To get prostate cancer at 41, that's that's a pretty early time to be diagnosed with that. How did the brachytherapy go for you? Um, it seemed to go well. Just, um, you know, some of the symptoms of the frequency and urination uh, that type of thing I've experienced, but um, other than that, haven't had too many problems. 
Now, I'm curious, Kelly, you're 41. How was it diagnosed? <laughs> I went in because my grandfather on my mother's side died of prostate cancer. And also, um, I had a separate issue, and I went to the urologist, and um, he did a PSA, and it was normal. And then um, after an exam, a, he wanted to do a biopsy, and it was during the biopsy that he actually uh, found the cancer, and it was a lesion scale 6. So that's a pretty serious situation. Dr. Sergey, for, for the purpose of educating all of us, Gleason score. Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, that's a, <clears throat> a score that pathologist assigns to a cancer, and it uh, ranges basically from 6 to 10, 6 kind of being low grade, and uh, 7 in the middle, 8, 9, and 10 is more aggressive. So that kind of shows how aggressive cancer is. But so for the, the lowest number you'll get is 6. Right. Okay. Pretty much. For the caller, though, you know, having a cancer in, at 41 it's it's pretty rare and usually um kind of pretty aggressive so it sounds like Kelly you did the right thing to really just get started taking care of this because you're a young guy and you have presumably a very long lifespan okay and it went pretty well for you when you did the treatment uh yes the treatment went well and um just you know as you said you know being young uh, in order to follow it, it would be, you know, biopsies yearly, that type of thing. And after having that done the first time, I thought, well, the brachytherapy is, you know, very similar to the actual biopsy itself in, in terms of, you know, what is actually done. So I thought, well, might as well just go with the brachytherapy then. Yeah, I think uh, when, we ask, when you asked me earlier who is not a good candidate for active surveillance, I would say... Uh, somebody who's 41. Who's young. Uh, and uh, okay. probably not a good ca candidate. To sit and wait. Okay. Because if you got it by 41, chances are you're you, going to have troubles. You, you're going to need treatment. Okay. So you did the right thing there, Kelly. It sounds like you really did decide the best thing that worked for you. And I'm glad it went well and you tolerated the treatment and you're you're still with us and doing fairly well. Talk about a story of, uh, of people not necessarily fitting the one-size-fits-all definition, but it sounds like it worked well for you, Kelly. Thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, thank you so much. All um, right. Uh, Kathy, can I just add um, one thing that Kelly mentioned um, and that he mentioned about a family history where his maternal uh, grandfather had uh, prostate cancer. I think that's one of the things to consider is a family history of not only prostate cancer, but also breast cancer in the mother because there's a genetic mutation called BRCA1 and 2 among um, that can increase the risk of breast cancer as well as ovarian cancer in women but it can also increase the risk of prostate cancer in the son. So for for any men who say my mother had breast cancer and maybe she had this genetic abnormality, they need to consider prostate. They can't just say, okay, I'm not going to get it because, you know, I'm a guy. They mm -hmm. have to look at the prostate as something to be concerned about. Right. Excellent point. Family history does really mean a lot. And for those who are able to get their family history, it can really help determine your genetic 
predispositions for other medical conditions and certainly something to look at. So, you know, Thanksgiving coming up, you want to know what's going on medically, what happened to your aunties and uncles, time to ask. Maybe not the most exciting, thankful discussion for Thanksgiving, but it really can help everybody in the future. So asking family history is something definitely important for folks to do. All right, we've got Paul on the line from Monowili. Paul, welcome to The Body Show. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for being so um, patient. What can we do for you? Um, I just uh, wanted to emphasize the notion that um, most men need to make sure that they get their PSAs done. Um, I had all relatively irregular physicals, and uh, my PSAs weren't taken. And by the time <clears throat> I got my PSA done, it was over 30, and then my Gleason score was 9. And um, now nah, that was five years ago. <clears throat> Things were taken care of with radiation and with brachiotherapy, but uh, now it's gone and uh, gone on and into um, metastasized into the lungs. So it doesn't just stay um, within the not the lungs, pardon me, my rib. It doesn't just stay. Uh, prostate cancer doesn't just stay within the prostate. Prostate cancer remains prostate cancer, but it didn't metastasize into other parts of your body, and uh, it's not a it's not a good cancer. So I, my whole <clears throat> purpose for the call is to say people should be very vigilant on getting those PSAs and acting on them uh, when when they can. Well, it's a good point, Paul, and I'm sorry that you had to have things get as far advanced as they did before you were able to have that evaluated and treated. And you're absolutely correct. All cancers do have the potential to spread what we call metastasize. And when they do, that means that they're a much more severe situation than if it was just localized in most cases. And so you're right. If you have a concern or if you're a guy and you don't know, is this a test that would be helpful for you or not? Talk to your doctor, talk to them now so that you can determine if this is something you want to test for and you know the risks and benefits of doing the test, but also that you know that it's something that's important because you're right. You know, it's uh, Steve, you brought me some statistics on your sheet there and you said, according to for 2005, American Cancer Society projects Hawaii will have 120 deaths from prostate cancer, 140 for breast cancer. And so you know, it's not just, oh, it's just the prostate. It never causes harm. You know, you're the prime example, unfortunately, Paul, of the fact that sometimes it does and that we need to take it seriously and act on that. Now, I wanted to mention briefly, Dr. Sergey, you work with the UH Cancer Center and you help them enroll people in clinical trials. How can people find out about what clinical trials are happening with prostate cancer now? Should they talk to the urologist? Do you know of any particular trials that are being done because, you know, the UH Cancer Center wants to run these trials to help educate people in the future, doctors and patients, what are the best therapies for different conditions. So how would someone know about what trials are out there? Uh, there, there are a number of trials that are available. I would recommend going to the website, uh, uhcancercenter.org. Also, they're available through Queen's Cancer Center, which are closely working with the UH Cancer Center so those are two resources. You can call uh, Queen's Cancer Center or go to a website for uh, UH Cancer Center. There are a few studies for advanced uh, stages of cancer. And so there are, um, there are multiple studies that are open and recruiting. So, 
And the reason they're doing these studies is to help figure out what is the most effective treatment, not only for the people in the study, but also for future future generations or future folks dealing with the diagnosis. And that's how we got to where we are now, is that other people were doing treatment, being followed, being studied. And that's how we know what to do, because folks before those of us today participated in those clinical trials. So there's definitely an altruistic motive to do that, but also can help the individuals themselves. All right. We've got time for another caller. We've got Joe from the Big Island. Joe, welcome to The Body Show. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Dr. Kozak, my name is Joe. I live in Pawilo on the Big Island, yeah. Uh, I'm a plantation worker, formerly, yeah. I have one question for the panel or anyone that would appreciate answering the question for me. I've been to my doctor today. Uh, see, I had a stroke about eight years ago uh, and a week ago. Uh, I'm still paralyzed on my right side, which uh, is beside the point right now. It's about... We're talking about prostate. Okay, I need to know, yeah, the doctor has recommended a screening for me. Uh, the word that she used, she has put in would be screening for malignant neoplasmas of prostate, uh, CDV76.44. Uh, I'd like to know, is it a run-of-the-mill test, or is it something that I need to be concerned about? It's a great question. Excellent question, Joe. What you're having done is a screening PSA, and we call prostate cancer a lot of different names. Um, And in the medical world, we call it malignant neoplasm of the prostate. So that's actually one of the ways that we indicate prostate cancer. You know, we're doctors. We like to use these fancy words. And so what you're having done is a blood test, and it's just like you would check your cholesterol or check some other sort of a test. It's just a little a little venupuncture, we call it, or taking blood from a vein in your in the middle portion of your elbow. And it's run at a lab, and it's a standard test that they do. And the code that you mentioned, the V76.44, is what we're currently using just to indicate that it's a screening test. And it's not because we think you have a diagnosis. So that's a standard blood test, Joe. You should not live in fear. And if you and your doctor decided it's a good test for you, it can be done the next time you do your labs. Yeah, actually, doctor, I'm, I'm also having another problem. Well, actually, not a major problem. However, I am on this uh, hydrochlorothiazine, 25 milligrams, and uh, I understand, in fact, I know what it does to me. It actually uh, takes out the, the, the water in my blood, yeah, uh, for lowering of my blood pressure. But the point is that I do go to the bathroom a lot. Uh, could that be a problem with the prostate in later years or in the future? Well, I'll be honest, Joe. I think you just got to talk to your doctor and find out if that's the best blood pressure treatment for you. And if so, then as long as you're able to manage the number of times you're urinating, it should be okay. Along with doing the blood test for the prostate, you're probably also having an exam done. And that exam will help you and your doctor to know if your prostate's enlarged. If it's not enlarged, that side effect could be from that hydrochlorothiazide, that water pill, which is currently one of the best ways in combination with other medicines to treat high blood pressure. So it sounds like you're on the right kind of pill. You might be having side effects. Could be prostate. Could be the pill. I talk to your doc because there's a couple of easy things you can do to figure that out. But you, you've definitely put a lot of thought into this, Joe. And don't fear doing a blood test because it's a fairly simple test to do. And it's nothing 
fancy. It's just the standard test you would do for your other blood tests that you probably are doing anyway. So great question, Joe. Thanks for calling. Maybe he needs to see a urologist. It could be. You know, if you're having some of those symptoms, you know, one of the things I would do is say, all right, stop the water pill. Give it a couple of days. If all your urinary symptoms go away... Chances are it's the water pill. Let's talk about other blood pressure treatments. And, you know, and to go back to our uh, previous point, you know, as we mentioned that some cancers are aggressive, but mo- some are pretty slow growing. You know, if somebody had a stroke and a paralyzed, may not be an ideal candidate for, uh, uh, frankly, uh, prostate cancer screening because of uh, those uh, circumstances. Sure, because you have to think about would they tolerate or be able to... Would they benefit, would they live long enough to benefit from uh, screening and treatment? Right, and the treatment is really the key, is are they going to benefit from treatment and are they going to, are you going to have a longevity, Joe, that's going to be long enough to benefit from finding this out? Lots of good information today. I want to mention, I want to give you a chance, Steve, the US2 Support Group. That's a national organization. There are three of these nationally organized local support groups here in the islands. And that's a really important resource. Where can men find out about the US2 support group and what do you guys talk about? Uh, I'll put in a plug for our uh, Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition website. It is hawaiiprostatecancer.org. All one word, hawaiiprostatecancer.org. And uh, at the website, we have a lot of resources. We have some very basic information about the prostate, about prostate cancer. We have links to many, many other websites which can provide information about the prostate and prostate cancer. We have information on our support group meetings, uh, their schedules and the topics and the locations. And uh, regarding the support groups, we have one uh, at Kuakini Hospital, one at Polymomi, and one on the Big Island. And uh, we have some regulars who come every month. Um, but every month, we also will have several men who uh, have recently talked to their doctors, um, have been diagnosed, and um, often sent by their doctors, or they find out about us other ways, and they come and they have questions about um, uh, the treatment options, uh, about active surveillance, and um, they get to talk to the other men there at the group, uh, pretty much all of whom have uh, are prostate cancer survivors themselves. We see a full range of men from those with uh, very uh, low-grade uh, Gleason 6 cancer to, unfortunately, men with very aggressive cancer who've been fighting it for years. And, um, yeah. That's yeah, what you do. That covers it. All right. Well, you know, time has flown, and I want to mention, Cisco, you also run the Queens Medical Center Cancer Survivorship Program. People can get information by going to Queens' website, and they can also call the medical center and get more information about when that's going to be available for them. All right. I want to thank all three of you for sharing your expertise with us today. Dr. Sergei Tikhonenkov from Queens Medical Center, Francisco Conde from the Survivorship Program, and also Steve Davidson, Hawaii Prostate Cancer Coalition. If you want to hear the show again, click on our podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. Engineers David Chong, executive producer Beth Ann Kozlovich. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.